Hello, and welcome to A Couple of Goons. I am Walt Hickey. This is a hockey podcast. I am joined, as always, by Neil Payne. Hey, Neil, Walt. how's it going? I love this uh, disco version of Brass Bonanza that you've you found. Okay, do you, do you want to know what disco version of Brass Bonanza this is? Uh, no, tell me. It is the original song upon which Brass Bonanza was based. Wait, you're telling me it's called uh, it's by that Jack? That it wasn't just originated the from the 8-bit version on uh, on NHL 94. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a song called Evening Beat. It's from the 60s by Jack Say and his orchestra, and then it was adapted later into Brass Bonanza. Wow. I didn't know there was so much Brass Bonanza lore. I didn't either, and I found this out because I was trying to be like, oh, I wonder what the history of the song is, and uh, and I found out. And so that was a poppin' version of uh, of the original Brass Bonanza, which is, um, you know, I just love like the the like jazz albums from the seventies because the songs are. I'll read you this. I will read you every song list off of this album. The album's name is Jack Say and His Orchestra. The songs are Shish Kebab, <laughs> um, poem in quotes by Fibich. Um, Evening Beat, which is what we all just heard. My Prayer, um, Lullaby of Birdland, Too Much Tequila, (laughs) Hawaii Tattoo, The Midnight Sun, We Will Never Forget, and then, I'm sorry, I I blanked on the album cover. I'm scrolling to it to figure out what it is. It's loading real quick. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, Early Bird Satellite, Full Strings, what a difference a day made. And then, you know, you have to end it on tequila. There you go. <laughs> it's called Color in Music 1. I'm unaware if there's any Color in Music 2, but that is that is the birthplace of, of Brass Bonanza's daddy. That is an amazing uh, backstory for a song that uh, we we don't know that much about as, as hockey fans. It's sort of just, you know, presented to us fully formed. Did not know that it came from an album that has, I think at least two of those songs seem interconnected. Too Much Tequila and Hawaii Tattoo. That I think it's pretty appropriate they're next to each <laughs> other. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it, it is actually a, it is a uh, concept album about one night out into, in, in, in okay. Oahu. <laughs> yeah. like, well, I mean, that uh, that does uh, uh, also tie in with hockey. Wait, no, there's no hockey team in Hawaii. Yeah. Yet, I mean, you don't know, you don't know the depths to which Batman's oh, Batman. going to go, you know? By the way, he heard that just then, and he's <laughs> just like, he calls up Bill Daly, that's the uh, assistant commissioner or whatever of the NHL, and he's like, Bill, <laughs> make a note. Hawaii. Next year. Yeah. Do you want... I just found a state that has no NFL, MLB, or NBA footprint. It's an untapped market. <laughs> like, we got to plant our flag there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, fun week. Um, again, like, so I got the coronavirus shot, a side effect of which is knowing facts on this podcast now. Oh, and That's my where that goodness. came from. With, um, yeah. Um, anyway, uh Let's kind of hop right into it. I know that, um, as always, we're going to revisit the team of the week. And so I was kind of curious, Neil, who's the team of the week? Yeah, so this week's team of the week, that is the team that gained the most in ELO rating over the past calendar week, the past seven days, is the Arizona Coyotes. That's a team we have not talked about, maybe ne- maybe ever? Like, I'm not sure. We have talked about them in the context of their jerseys, yeah. which we all kind of agreed that their third jersey yes, was Yes, the excellent. throwback uh, jersey that then became their primary jersey uh, got rave reviews, but the team has also been playing a lot better recently. They gained 11 points of ELO in the past week, 16 over the past two weeks. And right now, I, I'm not going to lie, their playoff odds are not amazing at the moment. Uh, wait, no. I, I'm wrong about this. They're pretty, They're pretty good. good. They're 62. percent I'm good. wrong. I I That's had not. not uh, yeah. I, I was looking at the wrong value for them, which does happen. We tape this live. There are no pickups on the show. Uh, 62 percent no to make the playoffs. That's actually incredibly good for them. Uh, they are the big beneficiaries of the St. Louis Blues just completely tanking in the past month. It, it feels like Blues down to a 17 percent chance to make the playoffs, and the the Yotes, the Yotes are right right there in the mix uh, as that fourth team in the West. And so, yeah, they are our team of the week. Shout out to the Yotes and apologies for 
not knowing your playoff odds despite you being the team of the week. <laughs> That's the kind of tight operation <laughs> we run here on a couple of goons. Yes, uh, it is a little bit loosey-goosey this week. Just a little <laughs> bit. We don't have to be on behavior for a guest. <laughs> this is what happens, yeah, when, um, we, when we don't so have to, what, uh, to mind our, our P's and Q's. <laughs> the um so the coyotes so you mentioned this last week and I, I wanted to ask you about it because it came up in the context of bringing it up on the first time on the podcast you mentioned that they had some off-season drama and that um and this is so rare in professional sport their front office is, is madness yeah well there was a report at the athletic um a couple months ago about how you know they they, they had a new ownership group in the past couple years and it was supposed to sort of usher in this new era of you know stability this is a franchise by the way that has not known a lot of stability over the years if if you had to do a power ranking of teams that were perhaps uh poised to potentially relocate at any given moment they would be near the top (laughs) of the list pretty perennially going back Mm. maybe like almost since they arrived in arizona from winnipeg they are the original winnipeg jets turned into the arizona Phoenix Coyotes, then the Arizona Coyotes. Um, and so uh, they almost moved back to Winnipeg in 2010. Uh, and the, But instead, the Atlanta Thrashers, RIP, not that I'm still mad about that, uh, moved up there I- instead and became the Jets. But the Coyotes have been sort of uh, in that uh, space for a while. And they were supposed to have ownership that would sort of provide stability but instead uh the the ownership group has been accused of stiffing vendors and kind of using strong arm tactics where like they'll owe a vendor something and then they'll like call them up and try to intimidate them into reducing the price that they owe uh and, and you know cutting back on amenities at, at the stadium at the arena um and you know harassing um their their workers over sort of every little line item on the budget to try to cut costs um and so there's a lot of kind of accusations of that uh that have been levied against them so maybe not the uh best organization they also drafted someone who was truly an awful um person over oh. the yes yes he yes he was yeah. yes oh my god and then they, they did cut, cut him, him like, eventually, eventually but it took a um like a large public outcry and originally they had been like no we can we can change him this is the path forward for him and then of course they they did cut him uh eventually but uh and i think the there there was a miscommunication even they had said like the owner was like i wasn't consulted on this and the gm was like well i didn't necessarily know that we we're going to do this. so there there was you know a lot of finger pointing and and blaming and stuff around that too so it's it's an organization that has sort of constantly been in this position of instability for a lot of different reasons, but they are looking at uh, potentially at least making the playoffs in a division that uh, they didn't seem to have a huge chance of going into the season. So there's that, you know, they'll get, uh, if they do make it as the number four seed in the West, which uh, I believe they would be on track to be in fact in our simulations they are the their average seed is the 4.6 number 4.6 seed in the <laughs> in the west uh but th- okay that's, that's just objectively funny yeah, i love that. but they would face <laughs> like, the either the avalanche or the knights who seem um pretty well locked in to win that division we have the abs as the edge right now 64 percent to win so immediately because they were the four seed they'd get tossed in against the number one maybe the most talented team in all of hockey uh, in the avalanche. So might not their playoff uh, trip might not last too long, but then again, we've seen situations in hockey, like in the first round a couple years ago, the team that had the most wins or tied for the most wins in the history of the NHL in a single season, the Tampa Bay lightning got swept in the first round. So stranger things have happened somewhat recently uh, than a team like the Coyotes upsetting the Avalanche if that ends up being the matchup. Yeah, and I mean, like, so how I know that I know how long the Stanley Cup is. How long are the playoff series? Well, each series is best of seven. So, and and there's four series, uh, including the Stanley Cup final. So it tends to last uh, a long time. I would say, in generally, <laughs> generally, it uh, starts in. 
uh, like the middle of early to mid April, uh, early April, and then doesn't end until like mid June. That's going to be shifted forward by about a month in each case uh, because of COVID scheduling and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's about a, uh, a two month uh, arduous slog, some might say, to the uh, <laughs> eventual champion. Uh, and, and that's when we grow our playoff beards, which we'll probably have an episode on later on. Excellent. Excellent. That's how long it takes to grow a playoff. Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah. So they've, I've seen a few games from them and they're fun. Their jerseys are fun. (laughs) Um, I would like to ask about your number 12. I know that, uh, you know, it's the 12th episode of couple of goons. Um, and each week since like the sixth episode, like this hasn't been since episode number one, we'll eventually have to get through episode, like players one through like seven. At some yeah. Point. We're going to do like but, a, uh, like a back dated sort of like the ones we forgot the, the ones we missed <laughs> along the way. Yeah. That screams a thing that for Patreon subscribers Ooh. for a Patreon Ooh. that we would never make. Hey, <laughs> never say never. Uh, <laughs> We did, th- that would not that this is not yeah <laughs> we're always gonna have a hundred percent of our content a hundred percent free and you can hold us to this promise from episode 12 until the end of time absolutely and again like neil can see i am signing a piece of paper that certifies that i think that counts thing. as a uh, legally binding affidavit what is an affidavit i don't even know yep. what that is sounds fancy an affidavit it's a sworn statement uh i i see listen I don't need to get into why I know this. Uh, I just, but either way, a sworn statement is an affidavit, and you really can't mess around on that kind of thing, though. Notaries, though, that's a whole. Don't even story. get me started. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but so our so, number vamping tw- <laughs> aside, our, our number twelve. <laughs> See, you didn't need to vamp this week because I came prepared with. Uh, I created a goons pod spreadsheet where i can dump the hockey reference uh list of players who wore a certain number in and then get the leaders in career goals above replacement for that particular number and uh today's number 12 for episode 12 is jerome Iginla. he is the all-time leader in goals above replacement for players that wore number 12 for more than one season. We won't count Phil Esposito's 1976 season when he wore it for the New York Rangers, nor will we count Jean Beliveau's 1953 season with the Montreal Canadiens when he wore it. Those were not their primary numbers. But Jerome McGinla wore it for the Calgary Flames for a long time, and uh, he's just a legend, man. Uh, so he is, I believe, the second uh, black player inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame on the basis of on-ice uh, accomplishments instead of, you know, sort of being pioneer or uh, a, a groundbreaking um, individual in the game. Uh, he and Grant Fuhrer. Uh, and he's also... Uh, just was one of the kind of prototypical power forwards. You talk about, we think of power forward as being a basketball term uh, for, for a guy that doesn't quite play center, but uh, is kind of a banger uh, inside and, and has a little scoring touch. That's essentially what it is in hockey as well. It's a guy that has, you know, size and, and a lot of strength and just scores a lot of goals from like, the immediate vicinity of the net. Uh, And, and that really was the way that, I mean, Jerome Aginla, he was really strong and and could get deep in uh, on teams and score from there. He also had like a super hard shot. So he was known for being able to just kind of, he was what they call a sniper. He was able to uh, uh, score with, you know, wrist shots from the slot and, and was really good in that regard. Uh, and, you know, he was kind of a complete player also by the end of his career. He was, uh, kind of a two-way player, which means that he played both offense and defense and was not, um, you know, just a a one-trick kind of guy. Um, And he had some really ridiculous years in there that were muted a little bit by the the dead puck era. So, for instance, he had 52 goals and 96 points in 2002, which – is the equivalent of 27 goals above replacement in sort of a neutral setting, uh, which is sort of, it would have been among the leaders in the past couple of years, uh, but we wouldn't necessarily think of it that way when you just look at like, oh, 
52 goals and 96 points, but it's like, it was hella hard to score back in those days, uh, in that, uh, in that era. And yet he was scoring 50 goals, uh, when it was super difficult. 2008, he had exactly 50 goals. That was another one of his best seasons. Um, and he, led Calgary to the Stanley Cup final in 2004 uh, in which they played the Tampa Bay Lightning. They lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, apologies to Canada for one of their multiple times in which their teams have lost uh, in crushing seven-game fashion to teams from places that perhaps have no business having hockey teams. Uh, but he was sort of a defining player for that team and a defining player for the for the Flames throughout that era. And then he left and and became sort of a hired gun uh, later on in his career uh, where he would like join a contender uh, to try to win the Stanley Cup. But also he had a lot, you know, he wasn't like coattail riding. He had a lot that he could offer these teams even as an older player. So he joined the Pittsburgh Penguins at the trade deadline, something we'll talk about later. In uh, 2013, he signed on with the Boston Bruins in 2014 and then joined the Colorado Avalanche in 15 and 16 and 17 he played with them and then got traded to the kings uh at the deadline in 2017 now unfortunately he never won the stanley cup the closest that he came was in 2004 uh again he led all scorers in the playoffs that year with 13 goals uh and yet you know they just fell short in the end i believe they blew a 3-2 lead in that i don't fully quote me on that but i think that they had yeah they had a 3-2 lead <laughs> they blew a in that gonna quote and you then that going into game six at home in calgary they lost in double overtime uh with the cup on hand uh, potentially presented to to this canadian team and then they had to go back to tampa bay for game seven and they lost two to one uh and the the cup was hoisted by the lightning but that shouldn't take away from jerome mcginless career again Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, one of the greatest players ever to play the game, scored five hundred uh, six hundred and twenty five goals in his career, which again, six hundred and twenty five goals is an insane amount for a dude that played in his era. Uh, Hockey Reference has this era adjustment uh, that they do that puts people in neutral um, conditions, kind of teleports their stats uh, from when they played. Wait, really? Yeah. So it, it, it takes into account the the <laughs> yeah cool. the offensive environment of each season, and then sort of uh, adjusts them to sort of a historically neutral environment. So if he played, if Aginla played in a historically neutral era, he would have scored uh, seven hundred and six goals in his career, which ranks seventh all time, uh, sandwiched between Brett Hull and Brendan Shanahan. So, I mean, Alex Ovechkin, a guy we've talked about a lot, he would have 841 goals in in, in this neutral setting. Uh, and Gordie Howe would be the all-time leader with 925. Gretzky would only be fourth uh, with 758. So congrats to Jerome McGinley. You almost had as many adjusted goals Brent Gretzky as would Brent have that Gretzky's many? brother, Wayne Gretzky. So uh, <laughs> that's... that's uh, yeah. Oh, that shout one. out to uh, Jerome McGinley. He is our number 12. He beat out Patrick Marlowe and uh, Eric Stahl, Adam Oates, uh, some guys like that uh, who also donned the number 12 over the years. The uh, You've alluded to something uh, being traded that we're going to get to later this episode. This episode is about trading. Uh, but one thing I just want to ask beforehand is... Um, I haven't been following it particularly closely because uh, I don't root for a team in that division yet. Uh, but what's going down in Vancouver? Yeah, so Vancouver is having uh, a little bit of a COVID outbreak. Okay, a lot bit of a COVID outbreak. So uh, they currently have, uh, I think, 25 positive tests. Uh, and in terms Holy of players shit. on the COVID protocol list, they have... Let's just count them off. This is according to ProHockeyRumors.com, which is... Uh, perhaps the site I visit the most on, on the internet. Really? I, I thought it would be pro hockey reference, but it's pro hockey rumors. <laughs> it's, it's close. <laughs> 17, 18, 19. So they have 19 players, including Nate Schmidt, who was added. Uh, and they also have, you know, coaches and, and various other, um, like taxi squad members, uh, who have been on the list. Uh, so yeah, it's a little serious situation brewing in Vancouver. Um, and it's been that way for about a week now. They, they, um, 
they first started kind of having these cases pour in. Uh, the last game that Vancouver played was, let's look at, at when they last uh, actually took the ice. So it was against the Winnipeg Jets on March 24th. It's already a little bit of a long time ago. Uh, That's a quite but a But there is uh, the notion that they won't, given this outbreak, they won't be able to play again for... I don't know, two more weeks or something. They may go like a month without playing. And there's even been talk, although it's not been given serious credence to like the idea that maybe they don't even play again uh, for the rest of the year. Or, you know, they might uh, be the reason why the league has to use points percentage as the um, the ranking uh, mechanism in divisions instead of points, at least in the North, because they're just missing a lot of games and it doesn't seem clear. Although, again, the NHL, Bill Daly has said that they plan for Vancouver to play all 56 scheduled games. And certainly if they didn't, it would have uh, ripple effects on the rest of the division in terms of schedule strength. That wouldn't be kind of fair uh, and and balanced Mm. in terms of who got to play them when and and, uh, who doesn't have to play extra games. Uh, But, you know, right now it's, it's hard to see when they'll play again. So we'll kind of keep an eye on that situation. But this is the worst outbreak any team has had i think there were some you know decently bad ones that had to shut down teams early on and ironically they were all in the american divisions and the north was kind of sitting pretty and and felt like i don't even think they had a positive test or a player added to the protocol for like the first month of the season they said i don't think they had a missed game at least uh because of it and now it seems like the concentration of tests has been more uh, in Canada than anywhere else. And I think some of that is they have less access to the vaccine. Um, Players in the U S have been getting vaccinated. We don't exactly know how many or who has been, uh, but there have been reports that they've been kind of steadily vaccinating players uh, down here. Whereas in Canada, it's a little tougher to get access Uh, and Canada, Vancouver, they're thinking that the, the dreaded Brazilian variant of the uh, coronavirus at, one of the hot spots in North America for that is in Vancouver. Uh, and so they've, they're still doing genetic sequencing, but some of the speculation around that is that the, the players on Vancouver kind of got that. Uh, and that is why it's been spreading so much through their, their locker room and everything. So yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. Hopefully the players are doing fine you know i heard some of them were experiencing symptoms that were not you know great uh, none of them have you know were hospitalized or anything like that but they were not having a great time of it um and so yeah we'll we'll kind of see how it plays out uh so far but yeah the the nuclear option of not having them play is like at least people are talking about it which i think um nobody was really talking about with some of the earlier outbreaks uh, this season. Yeah, it definitely like, it seems like it's the most severe outbreak that I have heard for any. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's been another case of like 25 individuals from any one team. Like maybe the Marlins, the first week of the MLB season, they, didn't like Baltimore or Pittsburgh have a bad situation in uh, the NFL. Baltimore had, uh, I think, maybe the worst one. They kept having to push back Ravens games. Pittsburgh didn't have one. They just had to have like three or four of their games get reshuffled and eventually had to play a game on like a friggin Wednesday afternoon uh, in order to uh, get the the game, the scheduled game in. But yeah, the NFL had a few, but I don't think any of them were, you know, numbering in uh, above 20 players. So this is probably you're right this is the worst that we've seen in in pro sports aside from like we talked about the um i don't know the numbers but obviously the um the nwhl had to like cancel their whole or postpone their whole tournament um in order to kind of keep things under control so there have been situations in which you know things got blown up uh entirely because of the total number of um positive tests uh but yeah in terms of leagues that tried to soldier through it this is the worst i think i've seen yeah uh it definitely seems like it's rough i think that again like but it is like it was clever of the nhl to really contain things within their leagues because like i recall when the nfl had those issues it was just like rippling across everything right because you had games delayed and and stacking on top of each other and this is by far 
not a good situation, but at least it's like contained within the infrastructure of one division, which I think like is kind of a credit to the way that they decided to make it go. Oh yeah, I totally agree. And um, the NBA was a little similar. I mean, they play cross division, but they were trying to kind of limit things to uh, mostly being in sort of a geographically um, similar. Uh, and the, and MLB did that not this year, but last year they they had the teams in sort of two division pods play each other depending on the geographic uh, alignment. So. That's been sort of a theme, but the NHL is the only one that's done it where it's like this division is hermetically sealed off from the rest of the league. And so if we have a breach in in any one division, it doesn't necessarily um, uh, damage the schedule uh, beyond just that. But I do wonder, you know, I think maybe also the the benefit of this like obviously it's not a great situation but the silver lining is that like we talked about whenever we talked about the playoff races whether it was last week or two weeks ago like the north was the division where we had the most certainty about which teams would make the playoffs and vancouver was not one of them so in that way it's not like it's you know dropping a bomb in the middle of like a super wide open race where it could actually make the difference between a team making the playoffs or not because of whether they had a game you know taken off the schedule uh against a kind of crappy vancouver team uh for most of the year and whether that affects the fairness of the strength of schedule between teams vying for the playoffs pretty much we know who the four are going to be and we've kind of known it for a little while now and so regardless of what happens with vancouver um at least it's not going to affect the playoff race too much yeah uh it, it again it's just kind of interesting like the thing like we've talked about this i think a little bit before and i know that you've written a little bit about it but like sports did actually serve as a natural experiment for a couple of different things just because they are like you know almost control groups teams operating very similarly some doing different stuff and so it's just very interesting to watch how it reverberates but um looking forward as well you texted me and mentioned that there's an event coming up that we should talk about this week and i was very excited about this because we are talking my language uh we are talking trades yes. Uh, and so the trade deadline is coming up. That's right. Now, I know a lot about trades in the context of Pokemon. <laughs> I know very little about the trades in the context of the NHL. So I've actually written out a whole bunch of questions for you about um, trading and just the practice thereof to kind of bring my extensive knowledge of trading up to snuff in the terms of the uh, I think NHL. you'll you'll level so, up as a hockey guy after this, by the way. I will. We haven't had the level up sound in a little bit, so I'm very you excited You got that one that. teed up? And also we'll probably... I might need to tee it up, but I think that life will find a way. Um, so uh, trade deadline, what is that? <laughs> so this year's trade deadline is April 12th, <laughs> but it's basically this um, pre-designated day uh, and sort of pre-designated hour. I think it's like 3 p.m. or something like that, 4 p.m., after which you can't trade players. So before that uh, moment, you can trade and kind of do whatever you want. Uh, after that, you can't make trades until the off season starts. So it's sort of like your roster. Now you can sign people. You can do, you know, waiver wire pickups or whatever. Um, but in terms of actually making trades with other teams, it's off limits after next Monday. Got it. Uh, and so, what do you expect to happen next Monday? Well, it's kind of a big question. So obviously the trade deadline is usually a uh, a big milestone day for the league. Uh, I think if you're watching like uh, TSN in Canada, they devote like a whole wall to wall coverage day of just nothing but trade. They call it trade center and they spell center uh, C-E-N-T-R-E, oh. of course. Uh, so yeah, they, they basically turn like a, in the NHL, it's one of the, um, sports that does it right. I think, um, you, you see a good amount in the NBA also, you know, with like Woj's Twitter account, um, blowing up MLB <laughs> trade deadline is like fine. And then the NFL one is like, nobody even cares about it because, teams don't really make that many trades in the NFL for a lot of reasons. Um, so the NHL might have the most sort of anticipated or excited trade deadline of all the sports. The problem this year is, and we've talked about this. So for, there's a couple of problems. First of all, um, trading players 
between the U.S. and Canada has issues. And if a quarter of the league is, uh, you know, a quarter of the divisions, at least, are Canadian, uh, they they recently made a change to the rules in which instead of a 14-day mandatory quarantine for players coming from the U.S. to Canada, it's down to seven days. But it's still sort of a factor when you have a short season like this, that if you trade for someone, you're not going to get to use them for a week. And that's like, a week that you might need in terms of the, the, um, the playoff chase or, you know, positioning seed wise. Uh, the other thing is because of the coronavirus, not having fans in the stands leagues, uh, or teams are not making anywhere near as much money as they usually do. And so since the salary cap is tied to league revenue, the cap is going to stay flat. They've kind of agreed that for at least the next, like, few years or something like that uh they're not going to increase the salary cap they're not going to decrease it but they're sort of going to keep it flat and so you have teams that sort of signed players on the assumption that the league's revenues would go up every year that there would be an appreciation um and it would give them a little more wiggle room with salaries and kind of keeping under the cap especially since the nhl is a hard cap you cannot go over the cap uh for you, you can have moments where you go over it, but the average salary, and there's like super complicated ways that they determine this and how much of it is determined by long-term injured reserve and buried contracts and all kinds of uh, really arcane mechanisms. But essentially... We've talked about how like <laughs> the devils or something like basically did some demonic work <laughs> to figure out how to completely orchestrate the, the yeah they tried to uh, by handing out sham contracts that were absurdly long and then the the league put the kibosh on that um but it, there there are other things that you can do but the basic upshot is that uh you you can't really go over the cap in any kind of meaningful way and so if the cap stays flat a lot of teams are finding themselves without a lot of room to like Add players. And the typical thing that happens at the trade deadline is that teams that have found themselves basically out of the playoff picture, uh, but have desirable players, uh, because that does happen sometimes, maybe their contracts are going to be up at the end of the year. They don't want them to leave the team via free agency and not get anything in return for them. They'll put them on the trade block and then they'll send them to a team that's contending that wants to add someone as kind of a rental for the last you know, month of the regular season and then the playoffs. But in order to do that, typically those players have contracts that are a little bit prohibitive. Uh, and so you can kind of work around that more easily if the cap is kind of higher, especially if you're adding someone maybe they would have more than one year on their contract and you're thinking about them uh, keeping them next year, that could happen too. And of course, you just don't have as much room to kind of add players. So we've seen a lot of salary cap magicianship uh, already. (laughs) uh, And and so that could discourage teams from making trades. And then the other thing is, like we said, a lot of the playoff races are kind of already settled. Um, That doesn't mean that teams aren't going to try to add something for the playoffs specifically and and something for seeding even, because we don't necessarily know who will outright win these divisions and that could be important uh, especially since seeding is as important as it's been in any season because they reseed at the end uh, like not only do you play the lower seeded teams in the division uh early on but then if you do win the division bracket you if you have a better record you'll face a inferior team from that emerges from the other ones because they reseed so there's reasons to maybe run up your advantage in terms of um your record by going out and getting someone but there's it's it's a lot more complicated this year so there's some people that we kind of expect to be traded like taylor hall of the um sabers he is a guy that's having a pretty brutal season and Buffalo in general is just absolutely God awful. Um, but trading Taylor Hall, he's a guy that formerly won the MVP like a couple of years ago. He could fetch them some prospects or something um, to kind of rebuild with. And I bet on the record 
my my bet is that Taylor <laughs> Hall is going to be a lot better for whichever team he goes to uh, when he's kind of motivated, playing with better supporting cast and this, that, and the other. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him like make a difference in the playoffs if he goes to a, a contender. Um, and then I think the Bruins are going to try to get some scoring depth. They sort of infamously have like one line that is fucking amazing and then the rest of their forwards uh and and really their defensemen like add nothing offensively so (laughs) i think they're gonna try to go out and and get some help um you know i i don't really i think the flyers are out of it but there's been talk about them trying to kind of go out and get defense to help with their awful goaltending situation uh that they've been uh experiencing (laughs) Uh, the Panthers are a team that need a defenseman now because Aaron Ekblad got hurt um, and he's arguably the best defenseman. So they, they need depth there. Um, I think the lightning would love to make a move, but they can't because they've already done all of their salary cap magic. And they're like literally like tens of thousands of dollars, if not outright, just thousands of dollars under the cap. Like they're so close to the cap uh, that it's actually kind of absurd. Um, They've already built a miracle. There's no there's no reason to mess with. Yeah, the exactly. <laughs> like, Especially since um, uh, Nikita Kucherov, who has been their best player for a number of years, he's missed the whole regular season, and so they've been able to get some cap relief from him being on long term injured reserve uh, during the regular season. So. You know, in general, the buyers are going to be the teams that are loading up for the playoff run, uh, and the sellers are going to be the teams that just have zero hope. And that's why you have a trade deadline, by the way. Um, it, it might not be immediately clear why do they even have this cutoff point where you can't trade after, why can't you trade anytime you want? But I think that they're trying to avoid situations like, you know, late in like a fantasy football season where you might have somebody who's like totally out of it, just sort of auctioning off their best players to the contending teams to try to, you know, swing it. But maybe it's like somebody buys somebody Chipotle, for instance, if they trade, if they <laughs> trade you their best, uh, you know, running back or something, because uh, they're not going to win. Um, but, you know, Whoa. I, as the, as the vice commissioner for competition in my league, that would that would garner a sternly worded oh, completely. remark uh, on the email. There might thread. be a Richard riot type of situation if anyone found out about that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so that's why they have the trade deadline is they don't they want teams to actually have an element of sort of risk versus reward before they dump off their best players by thinking about it and being like well, maybe we should hold on to this guy. Maybe we could make the playoffs. <laughs> Why should we, you know, uh, settle for a Chipotle lunch when we could have something better? So that's that's sort of why they have that. Um, and there's still some, like, obviously unsettled um, division races, even if the playoff races are kind of locked up in most cases. And there's only a few outstanding ones like we talked about. Yeah. And even those are settling fairly quickly. A little bit, yeah. Um, it's like again, I was I was just comparing our conversation last week to your current odds. Like it looks like it's getting a little bit slimmer. It is there. the the one that may have shifted the most was actually the Lightning, who we had as favorites, pretty you know pretty heavy favorites for most of the year in the Central, and now the Carolina Hurricanes are favored to win the division. They're not; they don't have a uh, a majority of the percentage points in the division odds, but they do have a plurality uh, at 49%. Uh, so, and the lightning are only at 39% and the Panthers uh, are, are 12%, but you know, they're another team that could play spoiler in that race. Do you agree that we as data journalists have failed by coming up with the word plurality and making it sound really really squishy rather than like majority which like it's, just, it's the hard consonants versus the soft ones and it's just like i feel like plurality should be a much more interesting word given how often it shows up and how cool i just it like is. being able to use it. it it's a nice little like uh it's like i want to be able to say majority but i can't so thank you plurality for yeah. giving me that other option that sort of like some people might think you mean majority well okay if you want to think that i just mean plurality yeah. Yeah, we just got I feel like we just got to consonant up that sucker, but maybe that's just me. Um I would like to talk uh, so again as we've as we've mentioned like pretty uh pretty well versed in trades. I know a lot about trades uh within the context of Pokémon. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions 
and I would love your answer just to kind of better understand, translate my knowledge. Uh, to sure. Now I will note, I know a lot um, more about <clears throat> Yu-Gi-Oh than Pokemon, but I'll do my best on this. Sure. I mean, it's all, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, does a player gain experience faster after they are traded? Potentially, if they are uh, like unmotivated in their current situation, like a Taylor Hall who's on like a sinking ship, a losing team, uh, maybe when they go to a better situation, they'll start uh, being more motivated and and pick up that XP faster. <laughs> mm, exactly. Um, okay, great. Next question, related question. Are there players that must be traded to evolve? Yes, that's uh, that's another situation, perhaps uh, applying to younger players who might be blocked on the depth chart. They can't really get the minutes that they need. And so uh, if another team comes along and trades for them, they would get more of an opportunity to play on the first line or the second line uh, and play with better talent. Uh, and so they would get an opportunity to put up better stats. Is that like, does that like, can people be like traded to teams that are probably worse off, but because they'll be promoted from a, like a later line to like the top line is that good that for might them? happen. Uh, yeah. I think that um, it could be like a one man's trash is another man's treasure situation where it doesn't happen quite as much in hockey as in something like the NBA, where in the NBA, if you get traded to like a bad team and you're sort of like a scorer, <laughs> you're, you're almost like, well, I'm, I'm not happy about this, but I'm not mad about it either because I'll put up like, you know, points and then uh, somebody will like sign me over the next off season because they just look at my stats <laughs> in the hockey. It's a little bit tougher just because I feel like the teammate, uh, the teamwork element is uh, a little bit stronger. And so being the lone offensive threat on a really terrible team, like there are guys that are like that and fit that description. And, you know, they've had decent seasons or whatever, but there's like a cap. I think, you know, it, playing with good teammates is almost like a multiplicative effect where, um, it, it's, uh, it's better to play with one playmaker than zero, but it's a lot better to play with two playmakers than one even cause they can just get you the puck. You know, basically it's just like, who can get me the puck? And if I throw a blind pass into the slot, can they finish it and pad my assist total? Please say yes. <laughs> Um, my next question is, is kind of related to something that we talked about before about the weird draft nature of the NHL, but, um, how hard is it to trade between different versions of the game? So like, can, can a player that is currently playing in the KHL be traded within the NHL for something? Uh, I mean, there might be transfer fees or situations like that. I mean, it doesn't happen at the trade deadline. That's some soccer shit. What are you well, talking yeah, about? Yeah. This is where you get into that soccer stuff where, um, uh, when you're talking about cross league things, it does involve sort of like the, the NHL team needs to like buy out the player's contract with the KHL. And then, uh, they, they would need the rights to the player. So they would, um, you typically get the rights through the draft. Um, and if a player sort of enters the, the NHL ecosystem, like pretty much any player who's worthwhile will have already been sort of known by, NHL teams and someone will have their rights. So if they decide to come over here, they, uh, someone, you know, it's not like they're free, uh, free agents that can kind of be bid bid on by anyone. Um, there may be some cases where that happened for the, but for the most part, someone will even like stash away their rights and just be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, you're playing for us if you want to come to the uh, NHL. But yeah, it, I, it, it also involves like heavy negotiations between the, uh, the parent club, that they currently play for and the, um, the NHL team. And it wouldn't happen at the trade deadline. Uh, I don't think it would be more like summer shenanigans. <laughs> All right. Got it. I just had to ask the question just cause this is a relevant concern in my area of expertise. Um, next question. Are they less loyal to the new owner? Uh, they're probably, well, if they are a rental, they're, they're maybe not loyal to the owner. They're loyal to the teammates, though. So if you're sort of a rental, like like a Jerome Genla, and you got traded, you know, to a team that has aspirations to win the cup, I don't think Jerome Genla, you know, had like he's not going to the Hall of Fame in like a Boston Bruins jersey, you know, or whatever. Mm. He he, <laughs> it was like a one time deal, you know, in some of these rental cases. But 
you know, you, you want to win it for the other guys in the locker room and they want to win it for you. in a lot of these cases, like there've been a lot of cases I think about Iginla was one of them that didn't work out, but Ray Bork was a longtime Boston Bruins defenseman. I think he was our number, our episode seven namesake, or we talked I've, about I've him. heard of this man. I think I know. Yeah. This is so going. Ray yeah. Bork uh, was a great example of, I think it was like at the 99 uh, or 2000 trade deadline. Uh, must have been 2000. Uh, he was on a Bruins team that was terrible and uh, they were going nowhere. And so he kind of requested like, hey, could you trade me to a contender at the deadline? And so the Colorado Avalanche were able to trade for him back in the days of no salary cap. So they put together a freaking monster team that is like oh yeah let's casually pick up a a first ballot hall of famer you know just sort of whatever at the trade deadline uh and so they picked him up and their whole like raison d'etre of the next two seasons was we're gonna win a cup for this guy because he never won one in boston had come close a few times but lost in the finals and you know, that's just going to be what we do. And they ended up doing it in 2001. They won the cup uh, for Ray Bork. And so um, there's a great moment. Like typically when you get the cup, first you boo Gary Bettman uh, and he kind of yeah, walks yeah, out yeah. with a cup and then he hands the cup to the captain who kind of skates around with it. And the ca- Ray Bork wasn't the captain of the avalanche because Joe Sackick was there. So uh, he hands the cup to Sackick and Sackick is like they've choreographed this ahead of time. Sackick immediately hands it to Ray Bork so that he gets to skate around with it as sort of the honorary, you know, oh, captain nice. or whatever. So there's a lot of loyalty between the, even for guys that are not associated with those teams, uh, between the players that are on that team, kind of the brotherhood of the mission of trying to win the cup. That's cool. All right. So yeah, it changes the composition of each a little bit. I like that. <clears throat> All right. Uh, next and actually kind of final question. So, <clears throat> On the 15th episode of the Pokemon anime, Ash trades his Butterfree for Eradicate, which he eventually comes to regret as the ship is attacked by Team Rocket. Uh, Ash regrets the trade, and mid-evacuation, he seeks out the trainer and uh, uh, renegotiates a trade back. Um, How often does that happen in the NHL? It wouldn't necessarily happen during a season, especially, obviously, at the deadline. You're not going to... uh, you, You can't trade after the deadline. So you're not going to get someone back. Um, I'm not sure if there's been a player who had two non-consecutive stints with the same team in the same season. Uh, I know it's happened in baseball like once and it really messes up your stats. If you're trying to keep uh, stats that are broken out by stint, Oh no! because you sort of need to have two separate line items for one player on one team in the same season. Oh, that would break an Excel spreadsheet yeah. so easily. Uh, so uh, Oh, no. maybe I'm not counting it right. So uh, to my knowledge there, I haven't found any instances of that in my hockey data, but there have been, uh, you know, it's, it's not common, but there have been some cases of a player, like even at the deadline, like being on one team, getting traded from that team to another team, and then just like either being traded back to the original team in the off season or signing with the original team in the off season, or, you know, somehow otherwise getting back to that, that happens like not so infrequently as to be even like that weird. Uh, Oh, okay. So like Jack, genuine rentals. Yeah. Right. And you know, the, the rental aspect is because they don't think they can resign them. So that does make it a little less likely to happen. Um, but there might be a case where it's like the market for the player isn't what either the team or the player like thought it would be or hoped it would be in free agency. And they're like, well, we know this guy. He knows our system. He, you know, he's worked well with the players that we already have here. We, why don't we just bring him back? You know, but maybe on like a more reasonable contract, because that's the other aspect is like uh, the rentals, especially if they're veterans, they might have a contract that uh, made sense when they were like 30, but now they're like 35 or 36. And so Mm. they're going to have to take a pay cut no matter what. Uh, So in some ways, it's like, well, may as well take one with the team that I was originally with, you know, if, if they like it there, if they have kids in school there, they have a house, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, factors that we as fans don't always think about that probably matter a lot to the players. Uh, You know, so I think that that probably plays into it too. All right. So from the sound of it, it is almost exactly like Pokemon with a few exceptions. So that I think that I get it. Um, I guess like, 
So you've mentioned a few teams that are potentially kind of looking for a trade. What's like the scuttlebutt? Like what, like beyond the Sabres and all that kind of thing, like which teams do you think are going to really dive in? And, and because like, like are these for teams getting ready for the playoffs or teams on the bubble of the playoffs or, you know, who, who are the buyers here? So to speak, well, the, the Islanders just actually even made a trade right now where they picked up Kyle Palmieri from, uh, and Travis Zajac from the devils, which were sort of, uh, players that were among the most desirable uh, trade targets. Um, so that's a trade that's like fresh, fresh off the books. I think it went in uh, in the last hour uh, or so as of when we're taping this, obviously uh, others will listen to this later. Um, so, but the Islanders, <laughs> I, I, I turn it around pretty quick. I'm just going to say like when we're turning it's not it, an indictment. It is 8:55 PM on the East coast. Certainly right not now. A, a, an indictment of your, uh, your, your turning around ability. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that marks the Islanders clearly as a buyer, which I think makes sense. I mean, they're a team that uh, has a 99% chance to make the playoffs, but only 46% to make the division. They have an opportunity to beat out the Capitals and the Bruins uh, and the Penguins to win that division. And they're going for it. Um, so I like that. Uh, and like I said, I think the Bruins are going to be buyers because they have very specific problems that are not all that difficult to solve. They just need like more scoring, like maybe trade away some of your stay at home defenseman types that never contribute anything to the offense to try to get some kind of winger that at least can score some, uh, Oh, the Leafs, I should mention the Leafs. They're a team that, uh, I think would probably be in the market. If they can work around those Canadian, uh, you know, quarantine rules or whatever, that's one where, you know, it might have to be a little bit sweeter of a deal to justify giving up something for a player that you can't use for seven days immediately after making the trade. Um, but so, yeah, but like, so actually, this is a really cool question. So Canada is not letting Americans in for two weeks or a couple well, days? Well, so or? if you're a normal American Joe Schmo, you you have to quarantine for 14 days. If you're a special hockey player, you only have to quarantine for seven days. They made that exception. Uh, in the interest of national, so, uh, it, it was like literally, I'm not even joking. They they were like in the, because no. it's a, a part of the vital national interest that Canadian hockey teams are able to make good trades at the trade deadline. Oh no. They they made that. So Joe Schmo can't go but Jacques Schmo can. If if uh depends on how hard his uh snapshot is from oh, the no. from the slot. Yeah. Was this legislation controversial or completely uncontroversial? I think it was probably pretty uncontroversial. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are there any barriers to a Canadian player coming to the states? Oh god no. Like, uh, <laughs> it's hog wild down here. It's, it's a free for all. Oh, um, boy. I mean, some, you know, probably the Cana- uh, the, the Canucks are not going to be, uh, shipping anyone to the, uh, us based teams anytime soon. Uh, but that might be I don't the, know, man, I don't know. The Tampa Bay lightning might be eligible to get, well, away. yeah, they might get some long-term injured reserve if someone is on COVID for, you know, that'll help them slide just right under the cap. Uh, but no, I, I think that, uh, in general it's, it is like a weird sort of like, um, uh, imbalanced, uh, situation between like whether you're coming from Canada or going to Canada and that's like affects the market that actually does have like sort of, uh, uh, material, uh, application to how much things are valued in, in terms of coming in or going out. Well, all right. Um, in that in that regard, I guess let's uh, let's kind of step away from trading. Any last notes on trading? I guess no. I mean, I, so I'm sort of uh, expecting it to maybe not live up to past trade deadlines, just because of all the the difficulties that we talked about earlier. So it might be a little bit of a dud for your first trade deadline. Don't want to uh, raise the hopes that much. There have been some that were really bonkers. They were like amazing, you know, and ended up at least affecting and who, who ended up winning the Stanley cup, even like in terms of players who were traded at the deadline, making an impact in the playoffs. Um, I don't know if that will happen this year. There's always like some random guy that was picked up at the deadline. It feels like, and you know, plays minutes for the team that goes to the finals. So, you know, you'll get some kind of 
impact trade, but you know, superstar trades. I don't know. Maybe this Palmieri and Zajac trade is like, you know, one of the bigger ones that we see uh, because those guys have been kind of languishing in New Jersey, uh, and you know, they 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 might improve under they might gain more XP under a different trainer. I, that's oh man, I love that. I will say languishing is like one of the best things to do in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, but- it's actually the, st- the state motto is come here and languish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Neil, what should I watch this week? What are, what are the good games to watch? What's, what's the one to keep? Oh, eye yeah. On? Well, you know, we're going to get a avalanche wild game. It's probably happening now or like later tonight. That's the best game of the week seldom do we get the best game of the week on on a taping night tomorrow the bruins are playing the capitals that's a pretty good game uh and that's gonna kind of continue i think they're doing a home and home uh and then the the panthers hurricanes uh and the lightning and the predators those are games that i've uh got my eye on and the lightning are in a weird spot they've sort of uh hit a snag in their previously heretofore unassailable march toward another stanley cup uh so they're like barely our favorites to win the cup right now uh and predators are not an easy team so we'll see if they can kind of turn things around uh, one of those games that they got beaten by a clearly inferior team what they had their backup goalie in so i'm not like you know freaking out about them quite yet but um they might need a tune-up going into the to the playoffs i think all right uh, so I will try extra hard to get this out very quickly then in order to alert our dedicated yeah, we, listeners to turn on their televisions and watch, watch, the game. watch that game and watch uh, trade center on Monday. Provided you live in Canada. There we go. Provided you live. In you Canada. probably can stream um, it somewhere, you know? All right. Yeah. Screw it. We're 56 minutes in. Let's talk how to stream <laughs> NHL games illegally on a podcast. So what you want to do is ESPN employee. Neil Payne, so what you want to do is go to Reddit. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then you take out your credit card and yeah. yeah. Um if if they're in Russia, like... it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um well I just you know, I feel like my knowledge of trades has really increased tonight. I feel like I got a better understand what's this what's this I just you did level up. up. Yeah, oh, you're now, I did you're now up. proficient in uh, trading tools. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I can add my proficiency bonus to that. Uh, and then soon enough, at level five, I think that actually doubles to expertise. Yeah. Well, so. uh, you, you also get advantage on all uh, trading roles with the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, but unfortunately, my my... My character type is a devil, so I actually have disadvantage. So the advantage cancels out the disadvantage. So that's a shame. Yeah, now that tiefling heritage has has a double edged sword. Literally, um, but anyway, <laughs> yes. Um, Neil, where can people find? They you? can find me at five thirty eight. They can find my GitHub with all the fun NHL stats at uh, Neil Payne five three eight uh, at GitHub, and then there's like an NHL repo in there that has. I'm adding things to it uh, all the time. Um, they also, if they're attending virtually the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, uh, that I'm oh. going to be uh, MCing uh, like between panels tomorrow and Friday uh, from one to five p.m. Eastern, uh, both days. <laughs> what's what's the illegal Russian link to access that? Because I would like to <laughs> that. I can't tell you. Uh, yeah. Damn it! It's. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I, I don't know. It's it's probably not too late. You know, this is probably the latest into the schedule that you could potentially sign up for the Sloan Conference and actually get into it uh, this year because it's all online rather than being at the incredibly cavernous Boston uh, Convention Center or whatever it is usually at. <laughs> what about you, Walt? Yeah. Where can they find uh, you? I am... I can be found in many places. You can find me at uh, numlock.news. That is my newsletter. It is a fun one. I can be found at Insider. I am the senior editor for Data there. It is a very good website that I am very, very happy to work at. Uh, and then you can also, it's Oscar season and it's it's the, the good part of Oscar season where like shit happens every weekend and it's great. And so you can follow the Oscar stuff at awards.substack.com. That's where that's heating up. Nice. Who you got? Who you got in the Oscar race this year? Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm in favor of. Uh, well, we could talk about the uh, 
the greatest Oscar in the NHL as I'm trying to, uh, trying to get that. <laughs> oh no. Oh yeah. Oscar, we can do Oscar that. Lindblom we can do- of the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> of course, Oscar Lindblom, God damn it. uh, I believe overcame cancer <laughs> to, uh, play for quite a mediocre hockey team, but, um, good for him. So he's my Oscar winner. That's your Oscar. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.